Hi, and welcome back to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable English load podcast. I'm Amy. And I'm Zach. And Chantel has left the building again. As usual, I want to come on the pod. Chantel runs away like I'm chasing her with a pitchfork. Um, no, actually, her wonderful mother is visiting her this week, and we hope they have a wonderful time together. Yeah. But that means that I have to have a different co-host and I have to do all the work. So I decided to bring someone on that you all have met before, which is Zach. And Zach is here because Chantel is not... <laughs> because Chantel's not here, obviously, because uh, you're not hearing her voice right now telling you what we're about to talk about. I decided to make this week easy on all of us and... We're going to have a special episode where we're not going to talk about a book directly, I guess. So because it's the month of September, and as Green Day says, we have to wake him up when September ends, we're going to talk about dreams. More specifically, we're going to talk about Neil Gaiman's Sandman and the adaptation that was made for Netflix. Woohoo! And I am your official Sandman correspondent. I will only come on the podcast if we are talking about Neil Gaiman's Sandman and nothing else. So I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I like how you're like an official White House correspondent. Yeah, exactly. To like unsighted. You're unsighted Sandman correspondents, which I think is great because I haven't read it. I've seen the show. I've been asking you to read it probably as long as we've known each other. Yeah, 100%. But I was always like, busy with school. And then I didn't see you in the summer. So I never read it. I did. Okay, so I did watch Lucifer, the TV show, which was also on Netflix at the end. But it was very different. Yes, I watched like six episodes of Lucifer, maybe. And then gave up because I was so mad that it was so different. Yeah, I watched all of Sandman but disassociated after six episodes. The episode I was most excited about caused a dissociative episode in Amy, so I felt a little bad about that. But... Well, that's who I am as a person. It'll be fine. So, Zach, if you want to give the people a slight rundown, just like a background of what Sandman is really quickly, you don't need to go into the plot points, just tell us what it is, and then we can get on to your review and stuff. If it, people want to have like more information about like certain Sandmans that we've previously covered uh scroll down in your spotify when you look at our name yeah and i think actually what we talked about last time if we get a season two will be depicted in season two keeping people on their toes love that for us and so sandman is the story of dream alternately known as morpheus the lord shaper the prince of stories the oniromancer kai cool etc um he is an anthropomorphic personification of everything that dreams he has six siblings each of them personify a different aspect of human existence. And Sandman is the story of Dream after escaping from imprisonment for decades, realizing that he must change or die. And he ends up making his choice in the end. Cool. So that happened. And it's also now a TV show on Netflix. So you really like the comics? Yeah, the comics are wonderful. They, they came out in the 90s, a decade that for a lot of comics were not great at all. But DC, under the editor, editorial direction of a woman named Karen Berger. Um, she assembled kind of a team of crack writers to go with create the Vertigo imprint where they were able to kind of go off on their own, tell crazy, super mature um, adult stories. So a lot of the gold from the 90s comes from the Vertigo imprint, which Sandman was under. It ran for 75 issues, along with some specials, 10 volumes, keeping in mind that issues are once a month so with 12 a year it ran for a very long time pretty consistently and yeah so it's it's pretty beloved 
had one of the biggest female readerships in comics at the time when it came out, which is pretty cool because there's a lot of stupid thinking outside of X-Men at the time that women don't read comics, so let's not write comic about any women with like even an ounce of character in them and Gaiman's like I'm just gonna write about people in my life that I love and include them in my stories in different ways and shapes and forms there are women there are gay people there are trans people and lo and behold there was a much bigger audience for it yeah I think there's very like big barrier to entry for women and girls to read comic books I think it's very much depicted as a male form of literature I guess I think to a certain extent nowadays it's less seen like that with the whole like movies but the really you know deep cuts of comics I find are still pretty difficult for women to feel like we're also allowed to enjoy them without having to be like super fans like you can't casually enjoy comics if you're a woman because if you tell anybody you like comics as a woman then you get berated with questions about it and if if you're not an expert, then you're not a real fan. That's so unfortunate. You're bright, but I don't like it. You can always be a casual fan of me. Yeah. And, but no, no, you're right. Historically, the genre has not been very welcoming to women, despite the fact that women have read comics for as long as there have been comics. In fact, before Fantastic Four came out in the 60s, the biggest genre in comics were romance comics before superheroes took over everything. And women read those so much. Romance comics? Ro there were romance comics there were horror comics, there were pulp comics. The superhero did not used to be the only comic book that existed. Before the Fantastic Four came out and took over, there were as many genres of comics as there are movies. Huh. We'll have to get into that at some point in time. So yeah, they adapted Sandman, um, and they adapted in the Netflix show the first two volumes with a little bit of material from later on, I believe. And in my opinion, they did it super well. Gaiman himself was involved every step of the way. So that's always useful because, as, as you know, he also helped adapt Good Omens. Which was like a treat. Exactly. And he also has for years been trying to get it adapted and also doing his very best to kill any bad adaptation before it can take form. Gatekeeping his own adaptations. <laughs> he at one point apparently leaked a script for a movie just to show the fans how terrible it would be. And then the backlash got the film canceled, which was the goal. That could be, like, I, I could be misremembering. But so yeah, he was involved. And as a part of being involved, they were able to keep pretty close to the source material. Um, but some of the, they did make some changes. And I didn't like all of the changes, but I did like most of them. Um, so he'll be the first to admit that while Sandman was progressive for the 90s, there were some things that did not age super well. And he really kind of fumbled his depiction of race because. In the original story, basically every single black woman exists just kind of to be set on fire for a reason that will become apparent later. It's kind of an echo of a decision that Dream made eons ago. But in the adaptation, they cast his cool big sister Death as a black woman. Um, they replaced his white elven man Lucian with a black female Lucienne who was absolutely wonderful. Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, so, so what were your impressions of those characters? No, it's a great thing. Okay, so I mean, much like us, yeah, stuff from the 90s did not age well. But I, so I, I liked the adaptation for what it was because I didn't read the comics, obviously. I didn't know that Lucien was a man in the beginning, but I much, I, I really preferred her, I guess, as a woman uh, figure. 
I think it was like it gave a different aspect than I think that a man would have. Um, and I like their camaraderie a lot. Yeah, Death, um, who's played by Kirby. I don't remember her last name. Howell Baptiste. Howell Baptiste, um, who was also in The Good Place. Which you reminded me of. <laughs> Yeah, it was a phenomenal death um, to the point where I disassociated again because of her. This is like the second time she's in a TV show that just sends me over the edge of I can't deal with death, um, which is fine. But I feel like she's being typecasted just to get at my insecurities. But I liked that the cast wasn't like, I guess this also happened in Lucifer, but like the angels and like, I guess, you know, death dream you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like they're not, they're not following that like Christian idea of like blonde, blue eyed men kind of thing, you know, like they're, the diversity really helped with the humanness of the characters they were embodying, even though they're like big celestial beings or whatever, like they're still people. Yes. And that's the thing that's like so compelling about them because he is as old as the first living thing that ever dreamed. He is his function. He is responsible for every single living thing that dreams every night in the story. But at the same time, he is a misanthropic, stubborn, stuck up, set in his ways asshole who for eons has forgotten how to do anything other than his function including interacting with people which makes it so much more interesting than if he were just like i am dream i control dreams and that's my whole personality yeah it's super weird because like so the lucifer i first encountered in lucifer was like super charismatic right like great with people but like dream is so bad with people. he is so bad with people and At first, before you meet his siblings, you kind of think, oh, maybe they're all bad with people, but they're not. He is just so bad. And we, we see stories in the comics of him like hundreds of thousands of years ago, and he was like warm and personable. And then... He got dumped by a lady who dumped him for a star, and then he he blamed his sibling desire, and he apparently has just been angry ever since. (laughs) But um, and speaking of other not changes, actually, desire was I thought a triumph of casting. Mason Alexander Park was so wonderful as desire, who in the comics, in the original comics, they didn't really or Gaiman himself, and you have to understand this is one man in an age kind of in the nascent internet before he necessarily had the vocabulary to understand things. So he made Desire non-binary in the story, but Desire's pronouns were it. Now that we have moved into the future, we have the language to understand that, and people have access to that language now. Desire can use they-them pronouns and still be the wonderful, capricious, cruel, and funny asshole that we all saw on the show. (laughs) Yeah, and I just the opulence that Desire has just... Like, through the TV screen, I I don't know how it is in the comics. I'm guessing it's even more ostentatious in the comics. But, like, their getup, (laughs) I guess, just is a lot. (laughs) They they have a lot of wonderful outfits. And they also love to come back to those cat ears because who wouldn't? Yeah, well, I wouldn't. Okay, that's fair. (laughs) (laughs) It's me. I would not. What I also found interesting was Cain and Abel. I really liked their depiction. The, the first murderer and the first victim and it's the oldest story and and yeah they're, they're they're fun in the comics as well and it's just you feel so bad for Abel but they're just kind of trapped in this cycle and have been for like millennia yeah you kind of like it's at the point now where it's just like well it's raining again you know I'm getting murdered like it is what it is exactly which is sad but I really liked her depiction compared to how they were depicted in 
Lucifer. That was not a fun. Oh, I don't even remember them in Lucifer. They were in like season six and Uh, you didn't get there. Okay. Which is what I found interesting was that like they just showed up in like first episode brings me to Gregory, which made me sad. Yeah, I was confused about that. Everyone that I've talked to that has not read the comics was super concerned and put out about the like 30 seconds of Gregory the Gargoyle we got being uncreated and i think that that was another change from the comics because originally dream just kind of walked up and was like hey kane give me the original contract of you two of the first story and he like uncreated the contract and he put a lot of his power into it then just like recreated it and he had a little more power in the show they instead gave us gregory and then killed him and for me i was just like huh that's interesting they changed it whereas for everyone else it was oh no the cute gargoyle well because gregory's depicted as a dog and I love dogs. And then he dies. And I just, I just kind of like, I know, I don't like, I don't like this dream guy. Yeah. You know, I don't like him. He could have done something else. He could have figured it but out. He doesn't really care that you don't like him. No, I know. <laughs> He's, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I do like that his sister, as usual, as she often does, did arrive to give him his reality check. And despite the sound of her wings being traumatic for you, when I originally read the story and seeing this, it actually made me feel better about dying <laughs> because like... I don't want to, but she's like exactly the person that you'll want to meet at that moment. She's warm. She's comforting. She accepts you exactly for who you are. And she's going to stick with you until you get to find out what happens next. If we want to get away from that. Well, then the the second half, we had Hob. (laughs) We can get back to Hob because we haven't gotten to him yet. And I think he was pretty cool. He embodied me as a person. I do not want to die. I would not buy people. I would have seen the problem with that. But the not wanting to die thing kind of on the nose yeah, for me. He said death's a mugs game. I don't know what that means, but it, it's British. It's British. And I kind of, I love that he is immortal because Dream and Death happened to walk into a tavern and heard some obnoxious peasant yelling about how he's not going to die. Yeah. And just like the idea that Dream doesn't understand like how much, like how he can just still want to live. And he's just like, well, there's so much to live for. Yeah. Like Even at his worst century where he got like run out of town as a witch and all the fleas and homeless. And he's like, do you know how hungry a man can get when they can't die? And Dream's like, okay, you're giving up. And he's like, what do you fucking think? I have so much to live for. Yeah, there's so much more. And then, hey, also with Hob, we also saw Joanna's ancestor, also Joanna, Constantine. Yeah. Constantine, if you're British. We're not. She's wonderful. And she, again, if it gets renewed, will come back later in a story featuring Dream's son in the French Revolution. Well, I do like the French Revolution. Yeah, where you get to see Robespierre and and the whole gang. (laughs) (laughs) And the whole gang. And all their heads. Can we talk about the vortex for a second? Oh, Yeah. (laughs) okay so you did not like that no i did well i want to hear your impressions of it first though so i liked the whole idea of like how can i explain this in a way that's not weird i liked the generation aspect of it like the grandmother being able to be with like her grandkids like that was cool and in the end it all worked out so that was fine. I didn't like the pregnancy thing. That I could have done with. Yeah, it's they they made it actually better in the show. Okay. Because it was just desire full on raping unity in the comic. Oh, gross. Whereas she seemed to have had a good dream about it in the show. And yeah, but it, it's not great. But at the same time, desire being a rapist like this, desire is as old as the first thing that's ever wanted something. Mm-hmm. So and lots of people have wanted bad things. And at the same time, it's all part of desire's plot to. Get dream 
this still family blood, which will come back later. Uh, but and yeah, the foster care system, not great. And uh, yeah, Jed, it was really interesting because in the comics, the escape nightmares was not Galt that was giving Jed this wonderful dream life. It was um, just like two random demony looking guys named Brute and Glob. <laughs> so Galt was... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Brute and Glob. So right. Galt was a wonderful change. So pretty, especially at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and getting back to the Vortex itself, it was funny that the Corinthian, the inspiration for serial killing, was kind of Jed's savior. Yeah, I mean, it all worked out in the end. It did. To get back to my problem with the Vortex storyline is that it took too long to work out in the end. And there mm. was too much tension. Um <laughs> Because Dream is, I have already listed his myriad negative qualities, and he has so many more that you haven't even seen yet. Um, <laughs> he's your problematic fave? I don't even know if he's a fave, but what, the one thing he is is competent. And he was depicted less competently in the show than mm-hmm. I wanted from him. Right. Because, um, yeah, in the comics, he's like, yeah, I'm just going to let the Vortex gather the dreams together and then bring them home and then deal with the Vortex. All done, no problem. And... That was also his plan here, except in the comics, he did just kind of do that. The Corinthian gave his big speech on that stage, stabbed Dream with his knife in the hand, and when Dream got stabbed in the show, he was like, oh, my hand, it's so sad, am I gonna die? Um, But when he got stabbed in the hand in the comics, he just kind of, like, looks at it, like he would, like, an ant walking across his desk. Yeah. Then he, like, turns to the Corinthian and just, like, uncreates him on the spot, and then just, like, swoop, 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 takes the rest of the dreams back home, and all done. But it was still a lot of fun, and seeing Stephen Fry in anything is always such a treat. Such a treat. I was going to bring up Fiddler's Green because he hasn't acted in so long. Yeah, I can't think of that, but I, I don't know him from a lot of stuff, just like me for Vendetta. And just like seeing him on screen again and having such like a nurturing role as well Yeah, was just a breath of fresh air after the whole disassociation stuff. <laughs> Need some light in the serial killer convention. That's when I like started to come back into it and I was like, oh, okay, I can watch this again. Yeah, and he's just uh, like the character of the comic, like he's a dead ringer. He is perfectly like there's no one more perfectly cast than Stephen Fry was as Gilbert slash Fiddler's Green. And when he asked Rose to come like run in his meadows and oh, swim know. in his waterfalls and his lakes, and he's just such a sweet sweet dream he's just trying his best yes he just wanted to be a person for a little while he just wanted to try it out and like fair yeah and he also then starts getting at the themes that are happening much earlier in the show than they are in the comics and just that like can people change can dreams and nightmares become that which they were not created to be can dream himself change right yeah and then if we're on this subject a few more of my complaints (laughs) I loved Lucian. I hated that she had to explain to Dream what a Vortex was. I Mm. wish, I understand for the audience the role of the exposition, but that's what you have Matthew for. You get Lucian to explain it to Matthew. Right. Not not like remind Dream because like he knows what's going on or he, sh- he should. And then the last thing, still in regards to his competence, hell, Matthew's pep talk was probably the worst moment in the show for me. I almost turned off the TV and fast forwarded through it. I was so frustrated. Oof. <laughs> I was, ugh. 
I was like, I feel like some executive forced him to put this in here because I understand wanting to ramp up the tension a little bit. And in the comic, we had narration boxes to serve that function so we could see his inner monologue. Right. But if we see him dying and stuff, we can just see him die and then say, I am hope without the pep talk from the Raven. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. But how do you like Lucifer? Oh my goodness. Well, I'm, I smile anytime Gwendolyn Christie is on my screen and I thought she was just wonderful as Lucifer. What about you? She's a different perspective. Yes. yes. And scarier. Yes. Which was yeah. weird for me coming from the other Netflix show because like the other Lucifer is not scary. He tries to be, but he's not. Which was also disappointing. But. Yeah, but she, like, okay, for starters, she's larger than life, like, literally. Yeah, and the wings framing her. Yeah, but she's just, she carried every scene she was in, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Like, no complaints at all. Because, yeah, because Lucifer did get a spinoff in the comics, but he did not become a cop. He created a second cosmos and tried to rebel against God after getting bored of owning a nightclub. Um, <laughs> I also love that she did the duel because um, mm. random demon Karanzon or whatever his name is, he did the duel in the comics. He's a funny guy with like four eyes and two mouths and he's all purple. And it was just, I was like, yes, any more excuse to hear her voice more is a welcome addition. Well, yeah, if you're going to be paying her, you might as well have her in a scene. TBH. Yeah. And her last scene about what she's going to do to, like, mess with Morpheus. <laughs> I, I was going into this being like, this will be all the Sandman comic and it'll be nice and wrapped up. And, like, every episode's going to be one of those volume things that you had in your room. And I was like, it'll be done and over with. And I won't have to think about it again. Girl, no. And then I got to this fucking cliffhanger and I looked at Sam and I was like, I don't know if I can watch the second season. I mean, I can tell you what happens slash your audience. Um, that would be, I think, rude, though. We, we can talk about it next time. And then we got a surprise bonus episode, episode 11. Which I haven't watched. You haven't watched? I forgot. I was going to do Amy, that Amy, I'm not going to use your whole name. Oh my god, it was so great. It was a double feature. We got Dream of a Thousand Cats. It's about cats dreaming the world how they want it to be. Um, and it features the voices of Sandra Oh and James McAvoy and Michael Sheen and David Tennant. I am a dumbass who didn't watch the episode. And then the episode. second story was about Calliope. Oh, that's a pretty name. Yeah, she's like the, or a muse, like Homer's muse apparently of you know greece <laughs> <laughs> homer of greece not homer of springfield yeah it's not homer of springfield uh, but no actually ooh, audience if you have not seen the show there is not a depiction but there is um an implication and of sexual assault that happens in this episode not at all shown on the screen but it was a part of the story so warning so yeah calliope starts with an old guy named erasmus fry who's apparently like a massive author like super successful amazing and he's meeting this younger author named richard maddock who's written one really awesome novel and has had writer's block since and he's like two years behind on delivering his next novel so he goes to erasmus fry for some kind of deal and we learn that the deal is erasmus fry the reason he is so successful is because he has had since like the 50s in captivity calliope the muse of ancient greece and has been being inspired by her forcibly so he essentially he did a magic ritual to bind her and then 
transferred ownership to Richard Maddock at the end of his life. In the comic, the sexual assault is depicted. In the show, it, it really shows that, like, even the supposed good guys, like, are all and can be, like, just horrible, shitty yeah. assholes. Because, like, he doesn't want to rape her. He's like, wanna, I know I kidnapped you, but, like, wanna have sex with me consensually? And she's like, fuck you. Yeah, like, like you no. Piss off. You don't get to own me and then also ask me if I'm fine with it. Yes, yeah, so then he's just, like, at his computer in his study. He's trying to write, trying to write, and he's trying to, and he's drinking, and it doesn't work. And then he stands up. And the camera just kind of zooms into his computer screen and it just stays there and lingers for a while. And then he comes back with like a scratch on his face and messy hair and begins right. to write. Yeah. So then we, we get a little montage. He becomes super successful, all the while keeping an immortal woman trapped in his upstairs. And she eventually calls to some of my favorites, the Fates, the Hecate, the Triple Goddess, the Maid and the Mother, the Crone, who we saw at the start. <laughs> You'll actually notice in general, I don't know if they'll stick with it in the show, but when there are female characters depicted, it is often in sets of three. So even we got that with Rose. We got Rose, her mom, and her grandma. Right, like how women go to the bathroom, never alone. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but but yeah, so Calliope calls for her sisters and they basically say, you were bound by the rules that we all made in like ancient times. We can't do anything to help you. But hey, did you know that your ex was also bound for a while? Maybe you can call to him. And she's like, what? Because she doesn't know that Dream has been held captive for like 100 years and just escaped. And we learn that they are ex-husband and wife. Oh, dear. <laughs> so she eventually calls to him because she didn't know he was captured. But in a demonstration of the kind of anthropomorphic personification Dream is, it did not even occur to her that she could call on her ex-husband to free her from captivity because she didn't think he'd care. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he comes, he frees her by basically giving Richard Maddox so many ideas that he is like scratching them out on the wall with his fingers right. going bloody. Until he frees her. And then Calliope asks Dream to kind of release the curse so it's about what yeah. she wants. Um, and then the last scene is just a very extended cut of her walking out of the house and away into the snow down the street. It's just kind of like really peaceful. She's been freed of this stupid man. And she kind of says that, yeah, those I was bound by all those laws that we decided in ancient times. But I want to fucking change those now. Which also I thought was pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Because <laughs> that's, that's a change from the book yeah, as well. I loved hearing you talk about stuff that you enjoy. Thank you. I like being listened to about it. And then, yeah, the other big thing was Lyda. She was a big change. Um, pregnant dream lady yeah. gives birth. Did she name her kid yet? I don't remember. It's funny because this comic was originally set in the DC universe. So Dream getting his ruby or Dr. Destiny getting the ruby from the diner was originally in like the JLA, the Justice League safe house or vaults. And Lyda is the daughter of Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor from an alternate Earth. And she used to be a superhero, but she just wanted to retire with her husband, who is the son of Hawkman and Hawkwoman from that same Earth. Y'all can't see my face, but I'm having like to jump through five different hoops. She's just Wonder Woman's kid, but she wasn't in this. And I think that was probably a good decision. Yeah, that would have been a lot, I think. Because it, it, it really didn't feature into the comic story either. It just like she had white hair because super and she was just really strong. So like if anyone ever tried to like mess with her, it'd be like she like breaks their fingers with her right. hand. But that was the extent of the superheroing that happened. So yeah, that was the other that was another change. And then the diner was so much more pleasant than it was in the comics, <laughs> where um, 
Lupin got the ruby. Remus Lupin, his actor, got the ruby and decided to kind of torture everyone. Yes, the diner where I stopped watching for a little bit because it was a lot. I understand. It is a lot and it was so much less than it was in the comics, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. Because this is like issue five or six and Gaiman was just kind of like playing with the form figuring it out really wanted to lean into the horror yeah and it's such an aberration compared to what comes later that like it is his most horror comic and story and it is horrible and disgusting and then so they they scaled that way back here yeah which again I think was a was a very good, good choice, choice because yeah. it's not indicative of what comes later but we do get a few of those characters showing up later or at least one of them yeah. Kind of, kind of. Remember Judy, the lesbian who died? Yes. So she's talking to, on the phone to Rose at one point, but she's yeah. also talking to her ex-girlfriend Donna. Mm. Um, and Donna is going to be a character in the next arc if they go in order. Oh, cool. Yeah. I really like also the hodgepodge of people at the at B&B. I really like the, the sisters were fun. <laughs> and just that was, that was a treat. Yeah, Hal and Ken and Barbie, they're all so wonderfully quirky. Eclectic. Yeah, the largest collection of taxidermied spiders. Yeah. And I love that Hal Hal is like, we don't know if they're sisters or lovers or cousins or friends, and we don't want to ask, but they're the spider ladies. (laughs) And they're quite pleasant. Like, we just accept people here and that's how it is so exactly your your friend becoming pregnant overnight chill it happens van especially when you're kind of sort of wonder woman's daughter apparently super chill yeah because in the comic hector her husband was actually working with remember brute and glob who galt replaced he was working with them to give jed good dreams and they were living in the dreaming and Lido was pregnant before she went into the dreaming. So she ended up being pregnant in dreams for like five years or something. Ugh, that's too much. And then Hector died. She came out and gave her. <laughs> too much. But overall, I liked it. That's so great to hear. And I do hope you watch season two. I think we'll get a family meeting if we get a season two. Oh, that's so you'll cool. meet their oldest brother, their youngest sister, and I don't think you'll meet their middle brother because of reasons that you'll find out. He, he kind of quit being himself. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't want to be responsible for it anymore. Was he like war or something? He was destruction. Oh, yeah. That's that's a reason to quit. And, and it's funny because his siblings, like, they're most pale goth people. And he's just like a hardy, has color in his face, like red-haired Scottish-looking dude. <laughs> I can't wait. He is wonderful. But we won't meet him until, like, if we get, like, a season four or five. I'll allow it. Cool. Any parting words? Thank you for having me on. Yeah. And I really hope we get a season two. Anything else that you want to bring up about Sandman before we we move on to our rating just that the volumes are literally never out of print because they're some of dc's best-selling books they keep putting them in different collections and volumes to claim that they're different books with the same stories they're available at your local comic shop near you and i think everyone should read them and give them a try on a scale of hanging out in the diner to getting to be hobgadling and just living forever because you don't want to die what did you think of salmon i think i'd be like chilling in fiddler's green what a wonderful place to be. Because, like, I did really enjoy it. Uh-huh. But there was also some hard stuff to get through. There was also some hard stuff to get through. And I think that, like, a lot of life is just like that. But sometimes when you take a step back, you really enjoy it more as a whole and less as a traumatic event. Yeah. How did you like it on the on the, your rating scale? Um, 
I would say that I'm like the mellowed out hob that we see him recently, not riding high on like, I'm so rich, we just invented the printing press, happy, satisfied, super thankful we got it and can't wait to see more if there is more. In that case, Zach doesn't have Twitter, so you can reach him by reaching us at Unsighted Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also send a raven, You maybe. You can send a raven, you can no longer send an email. That's what we've decided on. So yeah, you can rate us on Spotify, Apple, Podchaser, on your local bulletin board. You know, you do you. And we'll see you again in two weeks. And as always, we're excited. Unavailable. <laughs> Welcome back to, I forgot the name of this podcast. The world's least reliable English lit podcast. Oh, but I didn't say the name. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Did she say hello or hi? I think she says hi. Okay. But I'm not 100% sure. We're going to go with hi. Okay. I hope this all stays in. (laughs)